0: The Nationals are back home and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one or come afterwards to catch late night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com reservations to secure your reservation for this week.
1: Saturday, UFC 263 will be shown on Walters' massive TV. So make sure you plan to stick around after the Nationals game.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
1: Swing and a line drive, base hit left field. Headed for third is Bell. Throw coming in from Arena. Bell trying to
0: score. The one-hop throw, the tag. He is out at home. Zanino gets the tag on Bell. Harrison holds it first. Bell gunned down by Arena. his third outfield assist of the year. One ball, two strikes. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. And the Nationals do not score as Thompson comes in, strikes out Zimmerman and Bell. The Nationals have fanned 13 times tonight in the game. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 9th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. You know, this installment of the pod was supposed to be a very special installment of the pod. We were going to do a whole big thing, a whole big spiel about the 11-year anniversary of the Steven Strasburg Major League debut. And we will be doing that, but we're going to have to begin with another conversation about another impotent performance by the Nationals' offense in another Nationals' loss. Here we go again. 3-1 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night in Game 1 of a two-game series. The Nats lost their third straight. The Nats lost for the ninth time in 12 games. The Nats fell to nine games below 500 at 24 and 33. Here we are again, Mark. Davey Martinez is trying everything. Kyle Schwarper was a leadoff man. Nothing works. The team cannot hit. And you can put these guys in any order you want. The results continue to be the same.
1: Especially if the bases are going to be loaded. It doesn't matter who's coming up with the bases loaded, yeah. they're not going to deliver. They are now batting 145. Al, with the bases loaded, eight for 55. And I mean, I don't know how you felt, but they load them up in the eighth. It's a two-run game. Zimmerman and Bell are coming up. I know that's a spot that you should be excited about. This is the spot you want to see your team in. Hey, pressure's on the other guys, finally. They're going to come through. One hit and this game is tied. Maybe even take the lead. Did you feel like they were going to come through in that spot?
0: I said to myself, watch them not even score. That's exactly what I said to myself. And sure enough, they did not score.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's impossible not to have that defeatist attitude right now until they prove otherwise. (laughs) It's impossible not to think in those terms. And they may never admit it, but I've got to believe it's in their own heads too. They know the situation. They know what's going on. You have to feel like they are not confident in their own ability to come through in that spot, even though, like I said, all the pressure should be on the Rays in that situation. It's not All the pressure is on the net. It's like when you have a closer that can't close games out, and he takes the mound with a three-run lead in the ninth, and you're nervous, and they're feeling the pressure. You're just like waiting for it to fall apart. It's the same thing, just in reverse here. That should be the golden opportunity. There's no better opportunity to hit than that, except for the 2021 Washington Nationals. Bases loaded is the worst situation for them to be in.
0: It is so strange. And there is a part of me that says that just can't continue. Like that's got to even out to some extent as the season goes on. We we hear all the time about regression to the mean. In this case, there really should be a progression to the mean at some point as the year goes on. So in that way, if you feel like things are going to get better, you actually, I think, have some reason to feel like things will get better. But the thing is, the lineup just isn't very good. So even if they do start to do a little bit better with the bases loaded. This is still not some murderer's row lineup. And when you look at what it continues to be, you're not impressed. When you look at who continues to do what, you're certainly not overwhelmed. And one of the real themes that I think is really concerning over the last few weeks is the guys who had done well, relatively speaking, earlier in the season, they're no longer doing well. Josh Harrison is no longer doing well. Ryan Zimmerman, has started to calm down here. He's striking out a ton right now. So yeah, like Kyle Schwarber has been better, although man, is he back in a funk, at least you know for a brief period of time here, we hope. Josh Bell has been better, although it's all relative with Josh Bell. But like the Harrisons and the Zimmermans, you know, Gomes has come back down to earth too. Whatever modest successes you did have earlier in the season, not named Trey Turner, those guys have calmed down here. And I think it gets back to this issue of having everyone doing well at the same time. You haven't had that at all this year, and I don't know that you're ever going to have that, especially with this lineup.
1: It may be too much to ask for, yeah, for that all to come together at the same time. And I'll I'll throw another name in there too, Juan Soto, who, yes, there were glimpses, especially at the start of this road trip, but he's still not really Juan Soto. And you saw that in a few at-bats in this game. And what I've noticed here is he's starting to hit the ball in the air the opposite field. He's driving it to left field. That's where all his big hits have come. He's still hitting it into the ground when he pulls it to the right side. And that's a problem. That's that's where the double plays are coming in. It's crazy. Nine double plays that he's hit into already this year, only two fewer than he hit in the entire 2019 season. And they're coming in bad moments, too. I mean, these are spots where, again, Juan Soto at the plate with runners in scoring position. This should be the best opportunity you have to do something. And more often than not, it's not turning out that way.
0: Yeah. So on Tuesday night, Soto came up with runners on first and second, one out in what ended up being a one-run Nationals third, as once again, an inning set up to be a big inning, ended up being a very modest inning. Soto grounded into a first-pitch 4-6-3 double play for the second and third outs. Nothing was worse, though, than that top of the eighth inning. The Nationals have the bases loaded, one out, and the team's numbers four and five batters coming up. I mean, this is tailor-made. Ryan Zimmerman and Josh Bell, Each guy strikes out, and they strike out on a combined seven pitches. I mean, these were non-competitive plate appearances by two guys who, in theory, should be better, and yet they were not. The Nationals in the game got shut down once again by a high-level starting pitcher, Tyler Glass now. Came into the game with an ERA plus, a 147 over 12 starts. He certainly pitched to that level and then some. One run in seven innings, 11 strikeouts. The Nats struck out 14 times in the game. The Nats finished with six hits, a double and five singles. Did work for walks, but it all ends up being for not a mere one run is scored by the Nationals. What did you think, by the way, about Kyle Schwarber as the Nationals leadoff batter in the
1: game? Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's unconventional, although he's done it a lot. He did it 96 times for the Cubs. I didn't realize it was that many. I knew he had done it. I thought it was more like here and there, but he's done it a lot for them. I think in this specific case, it was maybe a matchup thing against Glasnow. And the idea being, we know the Rays and Kevin Cash love to match up with their bullpen. It's all about the platoon advantages for them. And yeah, Glasnow is a guy who's going to usually pitch deep in a game. But just in case not, I think Davey wanted to separate the left-handed hitters and thought if he put Schwarber first ahead of Turner, Soto, Zimmerman, Bell, you're alternating lefty righty and maybe you'd rather have Schwarber get some fastballs against Glasnow. Maybe he'd hit those. He didn't. And then be able to maybe have more favorable matchups later in the game. The crazy thing is, is they did kind of have the matchups late in the game. Cash didn't bring in the lefty to face Soto, maybe because he wanted to make sure he still had the righty to face Zimmerman. So I don't know. Weird stuff. I don't know that Kyle Schwarber as a leadoff hitter is a long-term solution to anything. He did work long at bats. I'll give him that. He saw a ton of pitches, but he didn't do anything better than walk, and he still struck out a few times. I don't know. I think we're probably grasping at straws here, but I I give Davey credit, I guess, for trying something different instead of just the same thing again, because at some point, the same thing just isn't going to work.
0: There is no long-term anything with this lineup. Every game, it's different. <laughs> it, it, it is incredible to me how Davey changes something every game with these lineups. And that scored their lone run on a Trey Turner RBI single, a one-out RBI single in that Nationals one-run third inning. Jan Gomes was back. Uh, that was good news. It was nice to see him back. He missed three games, uh, all three games in that series loss at the Phillies over the weekend due to right hamstring tightness. Did have a hit in the game, a two-out single in the top of the fourth, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. And, Mark, he threw out another base runner, hamstring in bad shape or not. Jan Gomes gunning down Joey Wendell on an attempted steal of second base for the second out in the bottom of the second. Gomes now 12 for 27 on runners trying to steal. I know we've talked about this a bunch, but I think it bears worth repeating. He has been awesome this year when it comes to throwing out runners trying to steal.
1: We may get to a point here where we have to question if Jan Gomes is an all-star contender this year. I haven't really looked at the rest of the catchers in the National League. Certainly from a defensive standpoint, nobody's been better. And as we've talked about, he's been pretty, you know, effective for them offensively, certainly more than maybe we thought they might get from him. He might need to be in that discussion. It has been such a big thing for him and for this team. To correct what was such a major problem for them the last several years. When Gomes was part of the problem, Suzuki was worse, obviously, but Gomes, you know, had his his issues as well there. And the pitching staff had issues holding runners on base. The Nationals defense continues to be one of the best in baseball. And I think that is a big reason why they are in all of these games because the pitching has been okay, but the defense, I think, is helping prevent the other teams from scoring. A lot in having big innings, and it's at least giving them a chance. And who would have thought that a team with that good of defense and an improved bullpen would end up being the worst team we've seen around here in a long time at the moment?
0: Yeah, and the defense did stand out on Tuesday night. Kyle Schwarber, a terrific backhanded catch over the short wall in foul territory near the left field foul pole for the third out in the Rays' two-run fifth. That was great to see, and uh, that was a sigh of relief because that inning could have been much worse. How about the Ryan Zimmerman play?
1: Swinging a ground ball, chopped right side up the line. Diving stop, Zimmerman. Little shovel toss to Lester, hits the runner, and everybody's safe. Zanino will hold it third. The bases are loaded. What a play by Zimmerman just to come up with it. And then try to make a little option pass to Lester covering the bag, but Margot got hit with the throw instead.
0: Ryan Zimmerman, a key defensive play in the bottom of the fourth, his diving stab into foul territory on what ended up being a two-out single by Manuel Margot down the first baseline, preventing a run from scoring and what ended up being a scoreless bottom of the fourth for the race. That was some job by Zimmerman. And, you know, seeing him get up and wince, you're like, oh my God, now he's going to miss two weeks. You know, <laughs> he's probably going to be <laughs> sore. He probably doesn't play for another two weeks with the way it's worked with him so far this year. But what, a, what an effort by Zim laying out like that to make the stab and prevent the extra base hit, prevent a run from scoring
1: especially on the artificial turf down there in Tampa. I mean, yeah, no, that was a huge play. And that's one of those where you say, well, he didn't get the out. No, but you know what? He prevented a couple runs from scoring by stopping it. And the fact that he even had an attempt at a play at first was huge. And then they go and pull Lester, bring in Swear, when he gets the out to get out of the inning. So no, that's a critical play there for them. The one shaky defensive play, and I, I don't want to go real hard on him for it, but the bloop into uh, right field that Soto He kind of got caught in no man's land where he wasn't close enough to make a diving attempt at it, but he was too close to it and that the ball bounced over his head. And that's probably inexperienced playing on that kind of turf. How many times has Juan Soto played indoors on artificial turf in his life? Probably not all that much. And so that may be a case of where he just didn't quite appreciate how much the ball was going to bounce and he got caught in a bad spot. And that, that may have led to one of the runs scoring. But in the big picture here, no, the defense has been fantastic. And like I said, I think that is a major reason why, in spite of some pitching issues they have, the pitching staff has not been great, but for the most part, they've kept games close, I think in large part because of the job the defense has done.
0: Yeah, that Soto play, that was the Mike Brasso RBI double in the Rays two-run fifth inning. One other item with Nationals position players, Josh Bell leadoff double top of the seventh, but gets thrown out at home and trying to score on a Josh Harrison one-out single. Look, I know, you know, you're desperate to score runs. I get that. And Bob Henley is aggressive. We all get that. But man, that was a risk that, you know, you think about like Josh Bell and who he is, what he is. He's a lumbering guy. It looked to me like Bell like slowed down as he was rounding third. I don't know if he was surprised that he was trying to score. I don't know if that's just the way Josh Bell runs. Like, again, he's not exactly fleet of foot. And I know it was relatively close to where Davey challenged it. But to me, that was a low percentage send. It ended up not working out. I mean, it doesn't make a difference at the end of the game. The Nats can't hit to save their lives. But what did you think about the, the old Sendley from Sendley Henley on the play that resulted in Josh Bell being gunned out at home?
1: So watching it on TV, I thought no chance is going to score here. It looked like, at least from you know the perspective watching on TV, like a Rosa had the ball as he's rounding third. That's not usually the time you want to send a guy unless the left fielder has a really bad arm. And then the play was close. And the ball, again, with the turf, when you bounce a throw there, it's not necessarily going to just skip right into the catcher's mitt. It kind of took a high hop to the side, and that allowed Bell to maybe have a shot at sliding in safely. And He made it a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. The ball beat him. He clearly beat him to the plate. But because uh, Zunino, the the raised catcher, had to go retrieve it and then come back to make the tag, it made it close. So a couple things here afterwards. Josh Bell admitted that he got a bad jump off second base. Because he saw the line drive and had to freeze for a second, hoping that it wouldn't be caught. And so that split second might have made all the difference in the world. Now, that said, he said he was not necessarily surprised that he got the wave. He understands, and he admitted this, when the team is struggling to score runs, you do have to force the issue sometimes. Now, Davey Martinez thought it was, in his words, a great send. Because he felt like you're putting the pressure on them. He felt like it was close enough where if they were going to challenge that play, then that says it was close enough that it required you know, a good throw, good tag, and put the pressure on the defense. So, I mean, I get all that. The fact that Starlin Castro was coming up next, you'd say, well, hey, just hit a fly ball. They were going to score well. Do we trust Starlin Castro to hit a fly ball right now? I don't know that we do with one out and a runner on third. So, it's like this perfect convergence of everything with this team. I think if you have a normal lineup and Bell gets a decent jump, what you know, I think you could say, okay, don't take the chance. But where they are right now, I guess I understand it. They may have to press the button like that and hope that it maybe pays off one of these days, but it didn't in this case.
0: Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code chat. Wednesday afternoon, you Darvish in the San Diego Padres host Jake Arrieta and the Chicago Cubs. Darvish has had a strong start to the year. Let's lean towards San Diego.
1: 21 plus and present in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700 in Colorado. 1 800 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine with it, Indiana 7117 for Confidential Help in Michigan one hundred Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia visit www100 gamblernet
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
0: So John Lester was the national starting pitcher on Tuesday night. One run in three and two-thirds innings. He did his John Lester thing of putting a number of guys on base, but for the most part, minimizing the damage. I mean, again, one run in three and two-thirds innings, but he only lasted three and two-thirds innings. John Lester threw 91 pitches over three and two-thirds innings. That's hard to do. 91 pitches in less than four innings, and he wasn't exactly pounding the zone. 52 strikes versus 39 balls. He only gave up four hits, a homer and three singles, but he issued four walks. The lone run that uh, was scored off Lester came in the bottom of the first, a leadoff homer by Manuel Margot. I think we're used to this by now with John Lester. You don't expect some you know, seven, eight inning outing. It does though really heighten something that has become a something for the Nationals this year. And that is if the starting pitcher's last name isn't Scherzer, the guy doesn't go deep into the game at all. Like, Corbin isn't going deep into games. Joe Ross isn't going deep into games. Obviously, Strasburg has barely pitched. You know, we'll see what we end up getting with Fetty, but it's not like he's got a reputation for going deep into games. And John Lester, where he's at in his career, you're going to get games like this. Where, you know, he goes three and two-thirds. We throw a parade when he goes like five, six innings here. Nobody's eating up innings. Every game, the Nats are having to use, you know, three, four, five relievers. And this game on Tuesday night was the latest instance of this.
1: And there is a domino effect on the bullpen. We've talked about how we started to see some cracks in the foundation for what has been a pretty good unit for the first two months of the year. And you're starting to see that not happen as often. And I do wonder if the workload is getting to them. You know, when they're asking the bullpen to give them six, seven innings a game consistently, that's going to catch up to you eventually. And I think we're seeing that with this team. So Lester, despite only giving up one run, he wasn't happy with this performance at all because he knew that he needed to give them innings. He knows the situation with the team. He takes pride in being able to go deeper in a game than that. Maybe he's not thinking he's going to go seven every time out, but he sure believes he's going to go at least five. And I mean, (laughs) you think about this, 91 pitches in three and two thirds innings, only giving up one run. That's like a Gio Gonzalez pitching line. And we'd be like, killing ourselves over that of how agonizing that was. And when it's John Lester, we don't necessarily think in the same way and we say, well, you know, he grinded it out. He only gave up one run. Maybe it's not that awful. No, that that's a terrible start, especially for someone of John Lester's caliber.
0: Yeah. Now the difference between Lester and Gio is the postseason where Lester has been supreme and Gio, if it's an NLDS game five, you close your eyes. But I understand what you're saying. Four walks from Lester in three and two thirds innings way too many. And I think the other thing that sticks with you is, okay, you had a nice day off, a chance to kind of reset things, get your relievers some rest. You're right back at it, having to utilize five relievers in your first game back. So like now you're back to being in debt once again when it comes to reliever usage. you know. And you have this two-game series, then you go right into a four-game series against the San Francisco Giants. And it's like, here we go again. Now you got to monitor workloads. And when did this guy last pitch? You hate to keep seeing this. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know who beyond Scherzer is going to become an innings eater for the Nats this year. Like, this is almost certainly how it's going to continue to be. And I think, like you said, the workloads are getting these bullpen guys. But I also think just these bullpen guys are getting exposed. Like, relievers, as we know, are flawed pitchers. That's why they're relievers and not starters. And so, you know, we see a guy like Wander Suero, and he's been okay this year, but he's getting got. And Sam Clay remains in a rut. And we've seen Daniel Hudson look mortal. And we've seen even our guy Paolo Espino look mortal, although we looked good on Tuesday night. It was nice to see that. Scoreless bottom of the eighth struck out the Rays numbers one and three batters in Manuel Margot and Austin Meadows. So that was nice to see. But right now with this bullpen, I mean, a- anyone listening, go back game by game. Every game the bullpen is giving up at least one or two runs. Every game here lately. Rare has been the game lately where the bullpen puts up nothing but zeros. That's just not happening. And it's almost like every game now, you have to count on the bullpen giving up anywhere between like one to four runs, if not more, like what we saw on Sunday.
1: Yeah, but so let's add up the totals here, though. It's two runs on three hits in four and a third innings. See, the issue there is the four and a third that they have to throw that much. So if you work out the ERA and all that and and the base runners, it's, it's not that bad. But again, when you have a lineup like this and a rotation that's not doing its part, you're asking everybody to be perfect, and they just can't be perfect, and that's too much to ask of them to do that. You said, who else is going to be able to give them innings? Patrick Corbin, it's time. He's got to do it. There's no reason he cannot get to the sixth inning. That needs to happen. Even if he's giving up some runs, I think Davey's just got to push him. And and it'll be interesting on Wednesday because you're in the American League Park, so even if you're trailing, you don't need to send up a pinch hitter for him. His spot isn't going to come up. Let him get over 100 pitches, no matter what, however long that takes and hope that he keeps you in the game. I think they're just going to have to do that.
0: Game two at the Rays, Wednesday night, 7-10. As Mark just outlined, Patrick Corbin versus a Rays lefty in Shane McClanahan. Patrick Corbin has allowed 15 runs in 21 innings on 29 hits and eight walks over his last four starts. The guy's got an ERA of 628 on the year. You're right. He should be eating up innings. He should be pitching at a high level. Six years, $140 million contract. He has been a major disappointment this season off struggling last season. And at this point, I don't know what we expect from Patrick Corbin, uh, but they need him in the worst way right now, especially with Steven Strasburg on the 10-day IL to be better. He he has not been close to good enough so far this year. Uh, One other thing here regarding the Nats of now. Austin Voth, he was officially placed on the 10-day injured list on Tuesday, fractured nose is the official reason off that nasty hit by pitch that he suffered at the hands of Vince Velasquez on Sunday afternoon? Both uh, in the game attempting to bunt, he gets hit via a pitch on his batting helmet and face. But what Davey said before the game in his pregame zoom presser that both suffered a couple breaks and that his left eye remains swollen shut uh, that doesn't sound good for Austin Voth being back anytime soon.
1: No, did you see his Instagram photo that uh, he posted Austin from the hospital? It it's a little ugly, <laughs> unfortunately. Now, I, he he's going to be okay. Uh, He's been discharged. He's, you know, thanked everyone for everything they did and all the well wishes he's gotten. But as Davey pointed out, and I think, again, here's a case where we get spoiled by Max Scherzer sometimes, that what happened to Max a couple of years ago when he fouled the bunt off his face during batting practice and then pitched the next night, this is not that. This is a very different situation. This required surgery. This was multiple fractured bones uh that needed to be reset. The eye is swollen It's going to be a little while. They're going to need to give him some time, and he's going to be able have to stay away from strenuous activities for here for a little bit. So, you know, David didn't put a firm timetable on it, but reading between the lines, it sounded like we're not just talking about a 10-day stint on the IL. This is going to be a while. They need to make sure that he's right. And then, unfortunately, even when he is cleared and able to come back, I do worry about the psychological toll of something like that on him. Now, and I get it. It was hitting, and he's now a reliever, so he's probably not going to have to hit again, anytime soon, but even standing on the mound, and we've seen it happen in baseball, it just happened to a triple AAA pitcher, really scary situation for him last week, that you hope it's not an Austin Votes mind, but you can understand how it would be and how you might be a little tentative the next time you take a mound. So I think they will try to find a way to ease him into this with like a simulated game. I don't know if they'll send him on a rehab assignment, but I think they're going to take their time there. This is not worth rushing him back given the spot that he's in and the spot the team's in. I don't think he needs to try to be a hero here and, and, and be back and pitching with a, a black eye and a, and a broken nose.
0: All right, things are not good for the Nats right now. This has been a very disappointing season so far. It may get worse before it gets better. We hope not, but you got to be realistic about things. This, this to me was a flawed team coming into the season and it's played out that way up until this point. So we do want to do some happy chat with you before we call it a pod on this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. So first of all, there was very good news, although I guess it depends on how you view it on Monday. So Baseball America on Monday put out the outlet's top 100 prospects list. The bad news is that just one Nationals prospect made the list. We've talked about this. The Nationals farm system is not in a good way right now. But the Nats prospect who made the list, starting pitcher Cade Cavalli, made a 49-spot surge in the list. He went from number 82 in the previous installment of Baseball America's Top 100 Prospects to number 33. That is quite a leap for anyone to make. Cavalli made that leap, a 49-spot surge from 82 to 33. Cade Cavalli, as many people listening know, taken by the Nats, number 22 overall in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. Over his first six starts this season for the High A Wilmington Blue Rocks, ERA at 214, 56 strikeouts versus 10 walks in 33 and two-thirds innings. It has been forever since the Nationals drafted, developed, and reaped the benefits of a starting pitcher at the major league level in terms of like a high-level starting pitcher. Steven Strasburg, truthfully, is the last one. Cade Cavalli is starting to profile like the guy who could break that. Now, we're not there yet. I recognize that. But with the Nationals having failed with so many recent first-round picks, for Cavalli Mark to be tracking as he is currently tracking. Boy, could the Nats fan use this right now, someone to truly be excited about. Great to see this from Cavalli, and we cannot overemphasize the extent to which the Nats need Cavalli to be a hit and be a hit for them at the major league level.
1: Yeah, 100% agree with you on all of that. The 56 strikeouts lead all minor league pitchers at every level, so that tells you something right there. Now, it's a very small sample this is his first season as a professional, and he's got, you know, one month under his belt at this point. So there's a long way to go. There's a lot of things that still need to happen. What I'm most curious about, and hopefully we'll find this out, I'm going to I'm gonna predict in about a month or so we will find this out. Is he just dominating a level at high A ball that he's better than? If he were to get promoted now to double A, would he get crushed? Or would he look like he was not ready for that? Or is he just really this good? You know, I mean, he's only a year out of college, so it's not like he's a, an older prospect pitching at, at single A. I mean, he's pitching against guys similar in age to him and experience level to him. You know, they didn't even send him to low A to, at all, to Fredericksburg. I mean, again, never pitched professionally until this year. But I would have to believe that come the all-star break, give or take, so about a month from now, that if he's doing this, they're going to move him up a level and we're going to find out if can he do it at double A now as well. And if he can do it at double A... Then all of a sudden, 2022 is in the picture. He may be a guy that we see next season. Now, that's a lot of steps still to get to that point. But a college pitcher having that kind of success, we've seen they're not afraid to promote guys quickly if they show that they can handle it. So far, can't ask for anything more. But that next step is going to be the critical one and will help give us a sense of what his ultimate timeline to the big leagues will be.
0: Yeah. And one thing we have seen, and the Nationals certainly have been a part of this, when a highly touted prospect is rising, the guy almost always gets called up sooner than you think. So like whatever you think the timeline is or should be, accelerate that if the guy's legit, because it always ends up being that the person comes up sooner than anyone thought. And so if Cavalli is real, and it certainly feels like right now he's tracking toward being real, like you said, there's a ways to go, but we certainly could see him sooner rather than later. Now, Speaking of prospects, Luis Garcia was named Triple A East Player of the Week on Monday for the period ending June 6th. Garcia over six games from May 31st through June 6th. 407 batting average, 484 on base, 778 slugging percentage. We conducted a poll on Twitter, which we know is always super scientific and never not accurate, at Nats underscore chat. Would you like to see Luis Garcia called up for good and give it a chance to play second base on an everyday basis. 81.5% of you said yes. And that's not surprising. And I don't think that you're necessarily wrong to say that. Now, I think it's important to put some context toward this. Luis Garcia is a well-regarded prospect for the Nats. He's not like some highly touted prospect around baseball. Okay. So this is not like a, you know, a Bryce Harper or Anthony Rendon or Juan Soto or Victor Roble situation where like Luis Garcia is looked at that way. But he is pretty well thought of, certainly within the Nationals organization. I do think, Mark, it's been a little bit of a bummer that every time he gets called up, he gets sent back down. So it's not like the ads have been, hey, here you are, here to stay. It's like, no, here you are, but you ain't staying here for very long. What do you think, though? Could we see Luis Garcia become an everyday player for the Nationals at the Major League level as this season goes on?
1: Certainly as this season goes on, yes. I think that's very much in play, especially if things continue down this path, both him performing at AAA. And the lineup performing as it currently is, whether that is Castro struggling at third or Harrison cooling off at second, I think there's going to be a, an argument for it. I would say not quite yet. He had a, one really good week. He got off to a slow start this year. Let him have a little bit more success. And then when you can say, hey, he's had two, three weeks in a row of playing really well at that level. Now you call him up, you bring him up here when he's hot. And when you do that, you put him in the lineup almost every day, maybe not every day but almost every day. Now he got that chance last year. It was out of desperation essentially after Castro broke his wrist. And at times you saw some things from Luis Garcia that made you think, okay, I can see what they're talking about here. And at times he looked very much like an overmatched teenager (laughs) or or 20 year old, what he was. So he needs to have some success and sustained success. And then you make the move and then you let him play sink or swim and let it go and see what happens. So I think they're, approaching that point they're not there yet in my mind and I think knowing the way they operate they don't want to do that because like we talked about with Cavalli you don't want to advance a guy too soon have him struggle and then you're demoting him because he struggled look at Carter Keboom I'm not trying to compare the two as as people or players but you see that that if you call up a top prospect and you give him his chance and he fails that could be it for him that may that may destroy him forever so let him have a little more success Then you make the move, bring him up here, let him play, and try to take the pressure off him and not think that he's got to look over his shoulder every time he steps to the plate.
0: See, all we have to do is talk about the Nationals farm system, and we can actually talk about some positive developments. It's nice to be able to do that. Or we can go back in time 11 years. June 8th, 2010, this pod is being taped on the night of June 8th, 2021, so we'll go ahead and call this the anniversary pod for the Steven Strasburg Major League debut. Maybe... The single greatest regular season night in Nationals history. That can be debated, but it's certainly up there. But June 8th, 2010, a 5-2 Nats win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Major League debut of Steven Strasberg, Number one overall pick in the 2009 draft. He makes his MLB debut in June 2010. One of the most unforgettable games in D.C. sports history. I don't think that's exaggerating things. Two runs in seven innings, 14 strikeouts versus no walks. A night that not only met the hype, but in so many ways exceeded the hype. An incredible, electrifying performance. We all have our memories of that evening or thoughts on that evening. You were obviously there covering it. You and I worked together the morning afterwards on radio. What stands out to you looking back on that night 11 years later?
1: I can't believe it's 11 years, first of all. (laughs) That's kind of crazy to think about. And think where the Nationals franchise was on June 8th, 2010, and where they've gone since then, and now maybe where they're headed again, but we won't go into the negative part of that. But I mean, they've come full circle over the last 11 years. And so what I remember most about it, and what stands out most to me is that here was a franchise that was still relatively new in DC, still trying to develop a fan base, and still not really on the Major League Baseball radar at all. And that game was broadcast against the Pirates, who were not good. That game was broadcast nationally on MLB Network with Bob Costas, and John Smoltz, and Jim Cott calling the game. And that's how big a deal it was. And people wanted to watch it because they had been hearing about this phenom, that he, he was the most hyped pitching prospect, certainly, in who knows how long, if maybe ever. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, let's lower the expectations here. Maybe he'll give him five innings, five and two-thirds. Maybe he'll strike out seven or eight, give up a few runs. And the way that he totally exceeded anybody's wildest dreams, And wasn't phased at all by all the attention and all that is just astounding to me still to this day how he did that. And I just remember watching from high above in the press box the pure joy in the crowd. Like I said, this was a fan base that was still coming into its own, that hadn't had a whole lot of reasons to cheer other than the fact that baseball was existing in DC again. And I just remember thinking, all these people right now, it's pure unadulterated joy. And the reason is, This guy is the next big thing in baseball, and he's ours. He's not New York's. He's not Chicago's. He's not LA's. He's not Boston. He's ours, and he's going to be ours for a long time, and he's going to be the reason that baseball in D.C. is relevant, and that was 100% true. Now, it also happened 24 hours after they drafted Bryce Harper. (laughs) People forget that. It was the day after, so you knew now you got these two all-time phenoms, and they were going to be the two to lead this team to the promised land. Now, it maybe took a little longer than we thought. And ultimately, Harper wasn't a part of the ultimate getting to the pinnacle. But that, to me, was the start of the Nationals as a franchise mattering in D.C., but even more importantly, around all of baseball.
0: It really was special. It was the first truly special night for the Nationals as a franchise since the team came to D.C. from a standpoint of being competitive. like Certainly, it was special when the team played its first game in D.C. in 2005. But this was, like you said, an arrival on the National stage. You know, it was part of a time, too, in Washington, D.C. sports in which you had a number of phenoms. You had the rise of Alex Ovechkin at this time. You had Steven Strasburg making his debut. The Wizards drafted John Wall in the summer of 2010. Two years later, you had that 2012 season for the Skins in which two rookies led Washington to an NFC East championship, in RG3 and Alfred Morris. You eventually, of course, had Bryce Harper doing as he did. Anthony Rendon came on not long after that and did what he did. It was like one phenom after another in this condensed period of time in Washington, D.C. sports. And look, for a lot of those guys, the success was fleeting. It did not last. But for others, it has, right? Alex Ovechkin is maybe the single greatest goal scorer in NHL history. And with Strasburg, you know, Mark, people are going to laugh at this because right now things don't look so great. But if he can get his career back to being in a good place, and that's certainly not unthinkable, I think there is a Hall of Fame trajectory that you can argue that Strasburg has been on. I mean, he's already an all-time great in the postseason. He doesn't have the like cumulative numbers, the counting stats in the regular season. But a lot of the rate stats are in his favor. I mean, you're a Hall of Fame voter. He needs to do more work. There's no doubt about that. But he can end up being a Hall of Fame pitcher. Like we always talk about Max Scherzer as the future Hall of Famer, and he is. It's going to take some things to happen well, no doubt, but it's not out of the question to me that Steven Strasburg ends up being a strong Hall of Fame candidate.
1: So I just had this exact conversation on the radio with Andy Polin, our friend earlier today who co-hosted that show with me while you were doing the updates and Tim was producing behind the scenes that morning. And I brought up the exact same point that especially when the 2019 season ended, I thought to myself, he's got a ways to go. But Strasburg is starting to build a case for it. And what we have to remember about him is truly the only thing that has stopped him at all during his career has been health. When he has been healthy, he has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's never bad because he's bad. He's only bad because he's not healthy. Now, unfortunately, it's happened too often that he hasn't been healthy. But if he can put together a second career here, maybe as a different type of pitcher, we already saw the signs of that a little bit in 2019. If he can find a way to do that and keep himself on the mound enough over the length of this contract, I absolutely think there will be an interesting case for it. Now, who knows what the number is going to end up being? We'll see. Maybe they don't stack up. But in this era, the pitching counting stats, nobody's going to have them, aside from the, the Scherzers and a couple others, Kershaw maybe. The numbers are not going to be the same. We're going to be evaluating these guys differently. And if we feel like there do need to be pitchers in Cooperstown, we are going to have to lower the standard somewhat. And maybe dominance in shorter bursts will make for more of a case, and especially a postseason record like that will make the case as well. So who knows where it goes, but I don't disagree with you at all. I think if he can somehow keep himself on the mound enough that the rate stats, everything else are going to at least be enough to put him in the conversation for Cooperstown.
0: You see, people? Happy talk. We told you it was coming, and we give it to you, even off a 3-1 Nationals loss at the Tampa Bay Rays. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us your voice memos if you want to be heard on the pod. Ask a question on the pod. Email those to us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the pitch.
2: Swing and a miss and a breaking
1: ball. With a chance of let's go Strasburg. Let's go Strasburg before the pitch. Listen to this. Nationals Park
0: crowd. Two outs, top of the seventh. No balls, two strikes. The line, the kick, and the pitch.
2: Swing and a miss!
0: Fourteen strikeouts! Seven in a row! Unbelievable!
1: That may be all for the night. And they are saluting their new hero here in D.C. There's
0: a new mayor in town, Dave. He won the election in one night. Fourteen strikeouts. Wow. As advertised, better than that. They want a curtain call.
1: They almost don't want to go to break. Unbelievable. Seventh-inning stretch. Our score, Nationals 4, Pirates 2. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time,